And thank you for the encouragement this morning. And it really, I didn't do this on purpose, but it dovetails so well with what I wanted to say this morning. Um, I'm trying to wrap up this sort of what's turned into a little mini-series today on this question of how do we walk out our familyhood? And, and I've zeroed in on a couple of discipleship contexts, these optional, man-made, conceived, non-required contexts. And I've gone to links to make sure you understand that the way we do discipleship can look a lot of different ways. And I'm presenting you guys with a structure, a couple of structures that are optional. But the principles that we see in God's word, the one and others that you'll find on the first page, those aren't optional. Those are the things that God's calling us all to. And so um, I want to talk about, as briefly and quickly as I can, this, the specifics of, this, of these models. And then I want to just try to take the last few minutes to, um, to really try to encourage you guys towards discipleship in whatever way you sense the Lord is calling you. Um, and then we're, I want to take some time to just pray together. The Lord would strengthen us towards that, that he'd elucidate and give us wisdom towards that. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would help me to be, uh, you're a God of order and peace. You're a God who said that David pleased you when he led your people by the integrity of his heart and the skill of his hands. So I pray for skill this morning that uh, is from you so that I can skillfully um, walk through this as effectively and as, Lord, mercifully, briefly as I can. And I pray, God, that you would receive glory and zeal and wisdom, Lord, for, for your work in this church and outside of this church. Lord, that you would stir those things up in us, Lord. Stir up conviction and zeal. Stir up hope. Stir up wisdom and discernment. And bless us, Lord, towards the ends that you have called us to. To love one another and to love those who need you still. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to highlight, again, I'm going to try to truncate things here. Um, so you guys probably don't remember, but the last section that we were going to focus on in the, in the DR training, the discipleship relationship training, was a section on prayer. For those of you who are new, we're doing something we usually don't do. We don't go through training models of discipleship. Usually we preach the Bible and uh, and so, but we're taking a little bit of time to highlight some models of how to relate to one another, how to help one another with the Lord. Um, and then we're going to, Lord willing, get back to specifically just unpacking the Word of God. But in this, in this training, we were focusing on this thing called discipleship relationships. We call them DRs here. It's a discipleship group. It's a small group of three or so folks who commit to regular fellowship for the sake of sharing three things. Can we move forward, Ed? Three things. You guys by now know what these things are. Truth, life, and prayer. And that's what this whole thing goes through. How do we share truth with each other? How do we form a group? How do we um, share truth of God's word together? How do we share our lives together? And how do we pray for one another? Um, and, and 
the, the, the picture that we're kind of presenting is of kind of going through the mechanics of a meeting in truth, life, and prayer. And the last section here is prayer. So I want to try to move through this quick, okay? So, so try to um, stay awake, and I will try not to take too long. Um, a couple of things I want to say about praying together in a discipleship group. I want to ask you to remember that the things that we most need are not of this world. We need them. But the things that we find God calling us to pray, when we look at the prayers in the word of God, are almost always centered on spiritual things. And that resonates with the whole reality of the Bible that tells us that that the things that are seen are passing away, the things that are unseen are eternal, that tell us that our biggest need is for the Lord, for his forgiveness, for his strength, for his help, to keep following him in a world that's very difficult, a world where we're tempted from within, we're oppressed from without by all kinds of things. Um, And so when you come together to pray, of course you should be bringing any needs that you have, practical, real, job promotions, sicknesses. Don't neglect those things, but don't neglect the fact that our greatest need is eternal. It's to behold his glory, to be changed by seeing him, to see him as he truly is, and in response to be empowered and strengthened to trust him, to love him, and to follow him more and more. Colossians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is, his image, from one degree of glory to another, that is, the normal Christian process is growing into the likeness of Christ more and more and more as we journey in this life. And Paul says that that happens as we behold the glory of God, which is a very abstract and lofty sounding phrase that can sound so lofty and abstract that it means nothing to us functionally. But what it means is simply, we're seeing who Jesus is. We're really seeing that he's a real person with a real character who has real power to change. And we see that as we look at him in his word but we also see that as we experience him in the changed lives of his people. When I come into a church service and I'm discouraged and I'm wondering if there's really a God and then this guy I don't know, Michael, comes up to the microphone and I know a lot more about Michael's story than he said and and he tells me that in a matter of a few days, his life was radically turned around through prayer out to Jesus Christ and that Sins that had held him in bondage for years in incredibly awful ways, which he'll tell you about if you want to talk to him, that those chains were broken in a matter of a few days after fasting for three days and that his life has never been the same and that God continues to meet him and change him and it's never changed that God has continued to hound him and persevere with him since that day, then, then I, I'm seeing the glory of God in the life of Michael Cotton. And and it convinces me that God is real and it helps me with my doubt and it helps me with my discouragement. 
And so that's what a discipleship group is supposed to be able to do, is to be able to display who Jesus is to you through other people as you all seek him. See, I'm not just seeking Jesus for myself. I am seeking him for myself because, man, I need him and I want him. And life is much better and like the way it's supposed to be when I'm near him and close to him. But just like uh, all you young moms know, when, you, when you're bearing that baby in your stomach, you don't eat for yourself. None of us seeks Jesus for ourselves alone. Yeah, you eat for yourself. You don't want that baby getting the steak all by himself or all by herself. You want some of that, right? But you know that you're also eating and living and breathing for others. This little girl inside you, whether it's Zoe or Mary Ella or Theodora or, oh gosh, don't even say it, Aria <laughs> or Adeline. You know, and, and so that's what's going on for us in discipleship groups. We are seeking the Lord so that when we come together, we can show him to each other in our lives. And those of us who come to a discipleship group discouraged and starving and hungry, which sometimes we just will, are gonna meet someone who's, who's fuller and more, um, more filled with his spirit. And then that will show us Jesus and will grow. So, so anyway, my point is that, that uh, as it has to do with prayer, Make sure that we're praying for spiritual needs as well and not neglecting those. Um, and then there's a couple of other aspects of prayer that I wanted to encourage you to if you're in a discipleship group like this or in any discipleship group, which is to, in the DR concept that I'm presenting to you guys, it, there's a term, there's term limits, right? Like congressmen have term limits or president has a term limit. I don't think congressmen do. I think the president gets term limits. And, and so um, the DR has a term limit. It starts this year, we're trying to start them now. So I'm in the matchmaking business. I'm trying to be an agent for you guys who want to look into this. So when you go into that hallway, you're going to see a checklist and you can sign up to say, I'm interested in, the, in a possible discipleship group. Then I'm going to contact you and try to learn more about your needs. And I'm not going to just throw you in a group. I'm going to try to encourage you and you make the decision. But, but the point is, there's a term to it. It starts and ends. Um, we're going to start them it, probably in earnest with the holidays. We'll probably, some of your groups will start in earnest in January. And, and I'm encouraging you to, you don't have to do this, but I'm encouraging you to, to make that term last until June, okay? And th the point of a, of a term limit is that, um, that it, it gives you guys a sense of, well, this isn't forever. Uh, sometimes it's easier to commit to something when you know that it's not open-ended. There's a sense of freedom and a sense of, of, um, yeah, well, freedom, I'll just leave it at that. We can talk more about other things that is in regard to that. But, but within that term, I want to encourage you to do something, which is to consider this. And this is, again, optional. You don't have to do it like this. But I'd like to encourage you to think about how do you bring those who need Jesus, who aren't in your discipleship group and who probably can't be in your discipleship group for one reason or another, especially if they don't know the Lord, how do you bring them before the Lord in a meaningful way through your discipleship group? And so one of the ways that I recommend is just to pick somebody at the beginning of your term in your life. Maybe it's a brother, sister, mother, a father, a coworker, a neighbor, and you just pray for them every single discipleship group meeting. You bring that one person, and you could pray for tons of people, but at least grab one. You know, sometimes the, the many discourages us from doing the, the, the many things that we can't get to discourages us from getting to the one thing we kind of can get to. 
And so the idea is pick at least one person and just make sure that at least that one person gets hammered and poured into and cried out to uh, before the Lord at each of your discipleship group meetings. Another idea for prayer is to, in the group, that's again, it's an option, right? Another idea is to take a chair and, and have kind of an empty chair in your meeting and ask the Lord, Lord, would you, would you bring someone to this group or into our lives who needs you? This empty chair represents a person who has not yet come to the Lord. This empty chair might, be, might represent someone who's, who knows the Lord but is not growing with, with a group of believers, who's lonely and isolated, which is a dangerous thing for a believer. And just say, Lord, would you bring someone into our fellowship at your time and in your manner that, that, that needs you and that we can love on together? Um, and then the last aspect of prayer is a little bit unorthodox for some of us, but those who come to the Tuesday night prayer meeting are so used to this that it's, it's and we, we've, we've engaged in it so often that uh, I think we would all say we, we love this concept. I hope I would say that. Is this that you take time at the end of your prayer time? I want to encourage you to test the waters with this. And you just get quiet. Everyone's prayed for their stuff. Everyone's prayed for each other. And you just get quiet and you say, we're going to give two minutes to asking the Lord to just put something in our minds Put, some, put a thought in our hearts, a burden in our minds or hearts for something we may have forgotten or something that he wants to say. And he's been working through the whole meeting, hopefully, at that point. And then you just take a shot and say, you know, I don't know if this is coming from the cereal, cereal I ate this morning or it's coming from the Lord, but I have a sense of, of this need in your life or I have a sense that we should be praying for this thing or I have a sense that the Lord has burdened me about this for you or about something going on in your life. And then you listen politely and you try to process that in the context of the word of God, right? First Thessalonians 5.19 is so helpful for these types of things. When someone says, I believe the Lord put this on my heart for you. What does First Thessalonians 5.19 tell us? It says, don't despise it. It says, don't despise prophetic utterances, but don't be naive. Don't just submit to that and say, oh yes, that must be Jesus. You know, the proverbial old um, kind of example for this is someone comes over and says, I believe God has told me that he wants you to marry Sheila. <laughs> you know, and you open up 1 Corinthians 7 and it says, you may marry or not marry. And you say, that wasn't the Lord because he already told me I don't have to marry Sheila if I don't want to. He said it right here. He wrote it down like 2,000 years ago just for today, just for this moment, right? So you want to take whatever is said with a grain of salt and with a biblically informed mind. And if you don't know what to do with it, go to somebody who you think might. But don't despise prophetic utterances. Don't say, that's so weird. God would never do that. No, he does do that. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, one of the things that Paul is trying to say to the churches is, some of this Holy Spirit stuff looks weird. <laughs> so be really careful how you engage it and before whom you engage it. And I'm not going to go down the rabbit trail, but Paul admits that there's certain aspects of this Holy Spirit work that are strange for people who don't know the Lord and who've never experienced it. So be really careful about how you present it and when you do it. And, and so we want to too, but, but, he, but, he, but he doesn't say forget about it. Let's quench it. Let's 
So that's my encouragement. And if you want to like, in, like experience that kind of thing and you're not used to it, come to a prayer meeting on Tuesday night. We do it at every prayer meeting. We take a few minutes at the end and we try to listen to the Lord and we take risks to say, I think the Lord might be saying this. And uh, when, you, when you know the word of God enough and you've got a Bible handy and you're in a community that knows the word of God, these things are less dangerous and they're able to be stewarded the way they're meant to be stewarded. So I just want to encourage you towards that. That's the prayer section. The, the last section on the DR training is, is a few commitments. And uh, briefly, I'm going to really try to do a better job than I just did at getting through these. Um, commit to consistency. One of the reasons why I encourage term limits for the DRs is because let, we want our, our yes to be yes. So if we say, I'm going to do this DR, I'm going to do this discipleship group, for six months, right? We wanna really do that. We wanna show up, now stuff's gonna happen, work conflicts, sicknesses, that's okay. But if you say I'm gonna come on Fridays and you guys work as a team to figure out that that time works, if that time does work, then show up. But you also know that this ends, it ends in June. I'm not signing up for the next five years of my life for this indefinite opening. But that term limit should help us Make the commitment, right? But we, we, we want to make sure that if we make a commitment to it, that we try to take it seriously. Again, tons of stuff, you know, things will happen. Um, and with, with Mark and, and um, David, for, for, for the three of us, stuff happened a ton. Sicknesses, work issues. And we knew that going in. Like David's work was going to be pretty commitment intensive and sometimes he could make it, sometimes he couldn't. But we knew that going in. So you want to get all that stuff on the table right away. And then other stuff would happen with me and Mark. A lot of sickness with these new babies. And um, you, just, you just deal with that. But, but it's not like, eh, eh, I don't need to take this seriously. <laughs> Like, man, there's an awesome movie I want to see, or um, I'm just, that one guy in my DR is super weird, I don't want to go. You know, you just don't want to give in to that, those impulses, or, or it's awkward and it's hard. No, you want to try to push through those things and be committed. Uh, commitment to confidentiality, I think that section will speak for itself. We can't make unconditional confidential commitments in the church. We can't. There are times where someone is sinning and they won't repent and they're doing something to someone else that's harmful and you can't, um, you can't not go to them and say, hey, if, if you don't repent of this, you know, you got to repent of this. You know, Matthew 18 I'm talking about. Serious sin needs to be dealt with by the community. And so we can't commit to unqualified confidentiality. And also there are laws in our state that have to do with abuse and oppression of minors or spouses or other dangerous activities. So you can find those online. It's called mandatory reporting. There's certain categories that you can't not talk about. But most of the time, those things aren't going to be at issue in a DR. And so we don't want to talk about what happened in the DR outside the DR if it's a serious matter. And, and if you don't know if it is or not, then go ask the person, you know, if there's any reason to share. You just want to get permission, okay? And um, so the last thing is commitment to clarity, commitment to clarity, or commitment to charity. One of my favorite phrases is Pam here. I've said this to Pam many times, uh, not because of Pam. We just joked about how relationships are, but it's one of my favorite little colloquialisms. If you live long enough in a relationship, every one of us will be disappointed and disappointing. <laughs> if you're in a relationship long enough, you will be disappointed and you will be disappointing. Just know that going in. If you do one of these DRs, there's gonna be awkwardness. 
there's going to be different levels of spiritual maturity. There's going to be back, there's going to be personalities with aspects of them either from the fall or just from how we're wired that are going to rub each other the wrong way. You know, but but we're we want to depend on Jesus by faith to be people who are looking to receive after people who are looking to give. I got that wrong. I should have kept my eyes on this. We are called by Jesus to be servants looking to give before we look to receive in these kinds of contexts. We will be walking as Jesus calls us as we remember his phrase, it is better to give than to receive. And that's true in discipleship groups. We're gonna get fed by the Lord as we look to feed one another. We can count on him. Of course, there are always you know, we always want to be careful. If someone is, is continually taking advantage or exploiting in some way, that's not good for them either. And it's not good for us to not confront and deal with that. But, but again, most of the time, we want to walk into these meetings saying, how can I bless? How can I love? How can I pour out? And we want to trust that as we do, the Lord is going to add to, to, to what we're giving. With the measure we use, it will be measured unto us. And so um, final commitments... Um, if your DR gets big, think about, just read that, read that, that's the last page. If your DR gets big, think about going, breaking it up into two. I'll just leave that, that's logic stuff, you can just read that. This is an important one. It's good to have an agenda in a meeting like this. It's good to say truth, life, prayer, and to try to stick with that. It just keeps you from being aimless. It keeps you from being wasteful with your time and moving on to secondary, less important things when there's a lot of important things to engage but sometimes somebody comes to a meeting and there's just, um, it's just hard. What they're going through is really, really hard. And they can't really concentrate on the word section um, because they just had a horrible fight with their husband. And they're really, really discouraged. And you know what? In, in that kind of situation, you, you don't need to force the agenda. You probably need to stop and say, how can we care for you? How can we help you? And, and give that woman a place to really unburden her heart with you all and not force the agenda. So just, just make sure that if someone, that, and a good way to kind of P's and Q's this is for the point person of the group to just start every single meeting saying, before we get to the sermon application questions from last Sunday or before we get to our Galatians Bible study, does anybody have anything who's just really burdened by something? Can we start with that if you've got something that, that, that's on your heart that you can't move forward with and just make that place available for them? Go ahead of them. Um, let's see, what's the last thing I wanna say? Yeah, it, about the term limits, one last thing. Make sure that, that you make it easy for each other to be released at the end of a term. Don't you know, make anybody feel guilty. If you've agreed to end in June, then just like, be eager to, to make that clear, to release each other and to give each other a clean break. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah, no one should feel pressure to continue formal meetings beyond the agreed upon term. And um, think about doing another term together or think about whether you've grown enough that, that actually now you, there could be a couple of people who lead. Let's say a group of four could, could end up, there's two people in that group who could start different groups and you could multiply the group and do more work for the kingdom by breaking up into two instead of sticking together again um, because we want to be looking to serve people. Okay, uh, the next thing is community groups. 
I want to talk about this second model, which is a little bit new in, in thinking uh, for us, for some of us. But community groups, as I've tried to conceive them, this is another optional thing, okay? But it is, it, I, I see these two groups as, as kind of a complementary, somewhat attempt to be, have an elegant balance uh, that fits our mission as a church. I'm going to end with that and explain that mission from a church connection to all this. But I want to talk about community groups. Community groups, in, in my conception, this optional model of discipleship, are groups that meet monthly for food, friendship, and fellowship with an accent that's different than the DR. With these groups, there's an accent on an openness to visitors in a way that DR contexts can't really handle. A community group is meant to have a more simple, a more casual format. For example, our group with Amanda and Jen and I and Kim and uh, Daryl and Ton and, if, and others, I may be forgetting, please forgive me, but, but we have a potluck style. We get together and we emphasize bringing enough so that we can eat, but then more people can eat than just us. So there's enough for those folks who come last minute. We move into a time of just talking. People just eat and talk. And they talk, we have enough flavorful personalities in our group that um, Jen tells me to put away the, uh, like the fun icebreaker question. She's always like, just let people talk. They're doing it. Like, look, Albert, you know, and I'm always trying to like, hey, what's your favorite? Um, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> and Jen's like, put it away. But it's true. Like the people in our little group, they're just happy, flavorful, salty people. And there's lots of talking. And then what we do end with this component of fellowship we take the life and prayer portions of the DRs and we streamline them and we just, we just get in a big circle and we say, where has God met you? Where is he meeting you? How can you praise him and say, God showed up so that we can see him? Or we say, where do you need to see him? Where do you need to see him so we can pray for you? And that's what we do. And then at the end, we, we pray and we, we have a specific way of trying to make prayer easy and accessible. And, and then we go home. That's it. Now, last time we met, I'm boasting in the Lord. We were probably there for, we were there for like two hours. And we just sat there and God was just doing something. And it was, how, did you say four hours? Did you, three hours? It was long. It was awesome. It was awesome. We just prayed and sang and prayed and sang. And um, it was just the sweetest time. It was just fantastic. Now, what would be great is if my next door neighbors were there. Is if, what would be amazing is if I invited them over and said, we're having a lunch. And they came and they had, if Holly made her, if she came and brought her, um, what is it, Holly, that you make? Which you, you, you attempted to be ashamed of because you make it a lot. That is the last thing you should feel about that corn casserole is shame. Is it, did you make it today? It is so good. Anyway, and, and, and then, you know, and Kevin and Kim came over and, and they, had the, they had that amazing food. And, um, and then people just were like, what's going on? Who are you? What's your life like? How do you like the, how good the Ravens are doing or whatever the kids talk about this year? Isn't it sad about the Buffalo Bills and how Albert has to grieve every year? He has to learn the same lessons like Charlie Brown when Lucy takes the football away every single time, but he still has hope and then his hopes are dashed. Do you think the Bills are cursed? Do you think God even does those things? You have a long conversation that's fun and you talk about those things. And then you say, hey, we're gonna get together and we're gonna pray a little bit. We're gonna talk about what God's doing in our lives. You don't have to do anything. Just sit and listen. And let's say they actually sit and listen. And then they just watch people 
who are like vulnerable enough to be transparent about their struggles. And they watch people in whom God is doing great work and they hear about it. And let's say that the grace of God is attending that meeting and he just touches their hearts. They didn't have to say a word. They weren't part of a discipleship group. They don't even have to come back next month. They're not committed to a term, right? This is a casual lunch with some real fellowship at the end that they can watch and they can say, wow, this is different. This is beautiful. God's at work in you people. You guys carry each other burdens. And deep in their hearts, they know what we all know who've experienced this. Many of you know this. And people who don't yet know the Lord know this too. When they see that kind of thing going on, unless they're really, really hardened, they say in their hearts, oh my goodness, I was made for that. I was made for that. That kind of community, that kind of vulnerability, that kind of encouragement, that kind of ability to be naked and unashamed before other people, I was made for that. What is this stuff that I'm experiencing outside this place? And I will tell you the truth. I am able to be much closer to some of you than I can to my blood relatives because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ. So in John 13, Jesus tells us that our love for one another will witness to others that we are his disciples. He promises it that it will convince them that that this thing is is real. And I think he elaborates in a way, he's trying to pray, but a few verses later in John 17, Jesus in the same evening, he says that, that our oneness will testify to the world that the Father has sent the Son. So in some kind of, in some measure, that kind of activity, I believe, can take place in a community group where you've invited coworkers, neighbors, relatives to just a simple lunch and you guys eat and you talk and then you ask them if they'd stay, you know, while, while there's just some, a little time of prayer and they can just listen. Maybe they won't stay, but maybe they will. You pray that they will and they're gonna taste of that. So these two methodologies, the discipleship group and the, um, the DR group are supposed to be complementary. Um, And let me just say, technically speaking, about the community group structure, you probably need a core group of about four to six folks. You can do it any way you want, but I think there's a sanity to having about four to six folks who who are saying, I'm in this community group with you other four to six folks. So that there's there's a home, there's, there's food, there's a simple plan to lead through, and you're sharing it together, you're planning it together, okay? Um... So I, I, if you're interested in maybe being willing to be part of a community group, that's, that's another thing you can sign up for. I love the idea that maybe a couple of DR groups could come together and, and merge once a month into a community group. Wouldn't that be cool? So the, 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 but the idea is these two methodologies are supposed to be complementary. Here's my point. Think of a house. Think of a house. A house that has a really nice front porch, really big and winsome. On the front porch... People in the house have great conversations with one another. But where are they? They're on the front porch. And what's happening in front of the front porch? Neighbors are walking by. They see you. They see you talking and laughing. They say hello. You say hello to them. Conversations and engagement with the neighbors outside the home begins to take place. That's what a community group can be. But inside the house, 
inside the house, connections and deeper layers of intimacy between mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters, there's to be more intimacy, more love, a deeper commitment to one another and a deeper sense of sanctuary. That's ideal. That's not what we often experience as we talked about the last couple of weeks, but that's what it's supposed to be. So care groups are kind of a front porch thing and DRs, discipleship relationship, are kind of an inside the home thing. But the hope is that <laughs> because the, the family of Christ is always supposed to be expanding, the hope is that those who come to a care group might find the family they're watching attractive and they want to experience this family and understand more about the father of this family and how they can become part of that family and then find themselves drawn in to the family. So there is an intended kind of complementary idea to the care group and the DR idea model that a visitor to our church isn't likely to be ready for the kind of discipleship on the first time they come or the third or fourth time they come. They're not likely to be ready for the kind of discipleship that takes place in the DR. This commitment, this getting to know each other and making sure you're you know, there. They're ready to come though to a community group after church or on Wednesday. And eventually as they get to know us, they might be drawn to deeper levels of intimacy and ready for a discipleship group. So when you walk into that fellowship hall today, you're going to see a little clipboard where you can communicate your interest in the DR care group. Um, and uh, th this is how I want to close. Lord, please help me. Can you guys hang in there? Are you guys doing okay? Any really good truth tellers in the church ready to just lovingly tell me, Albert, we need to just really stop now. <laughs> Ashley laughed. Pat did hand signals. Keep going? Okay. On Jesus' last day as a, as a physical person on earth, on his very last day, we read these words in Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, which is a fancier way of saying, really look, really think about this. Listen, that's what behold means. I am with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus is doing right here is he is giving a mission statement to the church. And notice, follow me here, this mission has two components. The first is make, it, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Blah. This mission statement has one mission with two components. One mission, the one mission is make disciples. Make devoted, devoted followers of Jesus. This, that's what a disciple is. In simple terms, a disciple is a student under a teacher or master. But in the word, there's a depth of commitment and allegiance to that master that goes way beyond the idea of student. And when your teacher is the king of the universe and your savior who bought you with his blood and your God who deserves your greatest love and your deepest commitment, discipleship goes way beyond the classroom. But that's the mission. Make devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. But notice that mission is worked out in two stages in the Great Commission. There's one stage that's called the, well, I call it the initiation stage. Baptism. 
Baptism, that's the initiating stage. That's the front door. This means people have been brought into the body of Christ. They've heard the gospel through evangelism. They've been converted through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the first act of making a disciple. Okay, baptize, get them in. I don't, I don't mean that in some glib way, but, but that's, that's the point. Bring them into the home, baptism. Birth them into the family. That's an initiating point. But here's what we often miss. There's a maturing mission right here in front of us. There's a maturing mission right here in front of us. Jesus said, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. This involves all that has been revealed by the Holy Spirit about who Jesus is. This is called our Bible, particularly our New Testament, the New Covenant. This is the ongoing, continuing work of making disciples. And I call it the maturing of disciples. So here we have the mission of the church to make disciples, to bring them in, but don't leave them alone. Mature them, develop them, grow them, cause them through the grace of God to be able to make it to the last day. Jesus gave this mission initially to these apostles. There is a uniqueness to their work that's unrepeatable. They have gone to God though now. They are dead. <laughs> They're not here anymore. So what happens to the mission? Well, God has for 2,000 years have been given, has been giving this mission to evangelists and pastors and spirit-gifted members. All of whom, have, when I say spirit-gifted members, I don't mean especially special ones. I mean everyone in his church has gifts from God for this mission. And Jesus promised that as we engage in this work, he is with us. He even said, listen, look, take this really seriously. I am with you as you engage in this work. So we are called to this work, to make and mature disciples. That's what the one another's all are about on the front of your DR sheet, maturing one another helping one another grow in Christ, making sure that one another stays with Jesus. That's what all the one another's are about, showing each other Jesus in our own lives so that we behold him in each other and grow in him. And God has raised up, even in our midst, evangelists. I think Luke, I think Jacob, I think Michael, I think Kate, and there's probably more than I know, have some particular gifts for evangelism. And he does that. He raises up people, Kale and Lexi, who, who just have a burden to reach out. That's, you, that's not only theirs, but that's uniquely pronounced. I have a burden to teach. I feel like it's uniquely pronounced in me. But, but all of us, not just me or Luke or Kate, all of us are called to this work in some way. We're all called to it. The work of caring for the church and carrying out the out mission of the church has been given to you, not just me. Each of us has to carry this out. The apostles are dead. <laughs> They're with God. They're up there being, you know, our cheerleaders. But the mission continues to make and mature. Discipleship groups, the accent is on maturing, teaching them all I've commanded you, helping each other make it to the end and 
learn about Jesus clean. The community groups, that, that model is, is more about bringing in people from the outside into Christ. There are so many different ways to do it. It doesn't have to be these models. But we're all called to do it. We're all called to do something. The work of caring for the church falls on the church. The work of caring for Living Hope Community Church falls on the members of Living Hope Community Church, including you. And we all have to prayerfully consider what that looks like. But here's the thing, and I really am getting close to the end. Here's the thing that is so hopeful. Let's go to the last slide, Ed. Next slide, next slide, next slide. Let's, okay, stop right there. Look at what Jesus says around this mission he's given us to make and mature one another and the lost. Look at how he surrounds it. He did this on purpose. Don't miss this. He hands Keith and Nancy and Krishanda and Edgar this incredible dignity, this incredible honor, this weighty call to make and mature disciples. It's the greatest work in the universe. It's the weightiest work in the universe. All the powers of hell and demonic forces marshal against that mission. But what does he surround the giving of that mission with? This promise. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Do the mission, do the mission, do the mission. And listen, look. That guy who, who has all authority and power in heaven and earth, he is with you as you walk that mission out. And all your weakness and all your inadequacies, he is with you to the very end. I'm not going anywhere. When you are trying to be faithful to the one another's so that you can build up a brother or sister, whether in a DR or any context of care, Jesus, the one with all power and authority, is with you. His spirit is in you. His heart is for you. His mighty power is, it is meeting you in your weakness. And boy, isn't it, don't you feel your weakness when you're trying to make disciples of each other? Don't you feel your weakness? Don't you want to bail sometimes? And don't you get upset and irked and just discouraged? I do all the time but I'm still doing it because he's with me. He hasn't given up on me. He is committed. His authority, his sovereignty, in all of your awkwardness, but obedient attempts at, at loving words or faithful prayer, he is with you. And it means something to him. And it will mean something eternally because he's with you. When you're trying to testify to God's goodness to a neighbor who's opened a tiny crack, for you, trying to fight this horrible instinct in us to be ashamed of his name and more fearful of people than God, when that's hard, but you, you in your heart of hearts just run to him and you're, God, help me, I believe, help my unbelief. He is with you. And his authority and his compassion and his help, they're made perfect, not by taking all your weaknesses away, but by working in you, even in the midst of your weakness. So, to, so that over time, all your weaknesses, they become less and less big in your eyes because Jesus is here. He doesn't make you amazing. He shows you how amazing he is. As you keep seeing, gosh, I'm weak, but then he just keeps showing up. He keeps being faithful. So let's give ourselves 
<clears throat> to the work of this church, to mature one another. That's our job. Hey, church, it's your job to mature each other, to develop each other, to help each other keep following Jesus. It's, if you're a Christian, that's your job. And hey, church, it's our job to together in different ways figure out how we can be part of reaching those who don't know Jesus. Our neighbors, our coworkers, Dorcas, community group, your ideas, especially those of us among us who are really gifted in evangelism. Let's give ourselves to the work of this church afresh to help each other mature, to hold his salvation out to those who need it. And know that Jesus, in his almighty authority and power, he's with us in all these things. He is with us in all our doubts and all our fears and all our halting starts. He is with us when we give ourselves to this. So I want to ask you guys to just spend some time in prayer and and we're going to close. Asking the Lord, maybe this is all you can pray today. Lord, please help this church accomplish your mission. But if you can, I want to invite you to pray. Holy Spirit, if you have anything to say to me about how I might be part of of your work maturing and making, might you have me be part of a DR? Might you have me join a community group? Might you have another idea that Albert doesn't have about how to do this that's good? that I can walk out? But this is his work. He's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And until that time, he has this work for us. So let's just spend some quiet time in prayer asking the Lord, Lord, accomplish your work here and show me if there are ways that you want me to engage in it that I'm not right now. Accomplish your work here and show me if there are ways that you want me to engage it that I'm not right now.